Good day, Stube. The Pragmatics are back on air. Good day, Desmo. Happy New Year. Yes, and Happy New Year to you. Well, thanks, brother. What did uh, you do over the, the holidays? Well, uh, lost some hair, gained some weight, you know, the oh. usual for me. Right. Um, well, that's a 12-month-a-year kind of thing, isn't it? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. The good news is the first one, I'm, 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 you know, almost at the end of my follicular cycle, so I won't have to worry. Follicular. Well, I thought I'd <laughs> throw that out there for my derm friends. Um, no, we had a good holiday, man. It was it was really good. Um, as as is usually the case, ate too much, uh, drank drank a little bit, uh, did some entertaining, had the, had all the kids here, so it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, had fun. How about you? Yeah. You know, pretty much, uh, pretty much the same. Um, I haven't lost any hair though, bud. Sorry. No, I actually, again, I think you have more hair than, than last time I saw it's you. It's possible. No, yeah, I had the kids out, and uh, first time in a in a couple of years, you know, the um, what do you call it? Uh, oh yeah, the COVID thing. Well, that pandemic had yeah. us, uh, yeah. you know, had everybody right. locked up. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, anyway, so we had everybody here and. Uh, had, had a very good time, uh, enjoyed it uh, tremendously. But, uh, you know, one thing I haven't done a lot here, uh, I was skiing on the weekend. Nice. Yeah, over to your spot there, well, what? Uh, Big White. Oh, so downhill, not Nordic. <laughs> you strike me as a, a Nordic guy. Well, yeah, look at me. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, was, uh, it was a weekend sponsored by the CNIB. Really? Yeah, I couldn't see a bloody thing. Oh, yeah. it was—is that why they call it Big White? It—it it was a whiteout. Well, that's it, Big Whiteout. Yeah, um, well, boy, which boy is, was it ever. Yeah, you know, it's a great hill when you can see it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, whiteouts make skiing a little bit more—I um, don't know—challenging. Boy, yes. But but skiing in whiteout is to a chiropractor what um, you know ice storms are to auto body shops. <laughs> they, they they like it. Yes. Well, I did make a tumble. I, I uh, early yeah. on too on on day one I. Uh, I didn't see, <laughs> I didn't see the uh, sort of an incline that I was going into, so I ended up burying my head and my right right shoulder into the terra firma. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, uh, by virtue of the sport, you're supposed to ski downhill, not right. uphill. So, <laughs> and stay on your feet, you know. Yeah, but anyway, but it was it was good fun, and uh, we you, were. Huh? You look no worse for wear, though. No, no, no. I, I, things are doing okay. I went and uh, had a little. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit of a, a massage and, and, uh, you know, it, uh, it worked out good. Oh yeah? Yeah. And I'll tell you what. And did they work on your back? <laughs> well, this one did. Oh, good. This one did, yes. Good. And, well, uh, I, I'll tell I you what, them. it's amazing how they know how to just find those, those spots that, uh, that just Yeah, they, hurt, they, they knock you off yeah. the table? Yeah. Oh, they yeah. get you up a bit? Yeah. I mean, I mean that in a... Clean sense. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was a good session. Right on. I uh, can move. I can move my wing now. So yeah, we're doing good. What's yeah, uh, what else going on uh, in your life here, pal? Well, look, I, I, I you know me. I, I, I've got to, I've got to bring it up for the listeners that 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 care and those that know me know I care about the Oilers. Although it's, mm. it's fleeting, um, buddy. They they took another beating last night. We're we're uh, halfway through the that. season and they are barely hanging on to a wild card spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're running out of excuses, mate. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they have, they have two of the best players on the planet, and you know, they can't string a series of wins together. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm getting a little worried. Yeah, I I know when when, when they win, man. I mean, it, you just uh, you think it's this is it, right? But uh, they seem to get the, 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 our two fellas. They seem to get really tied up. You know, Drysaddle and, and and Connor. They get. They get tied up. They did a great job of it last night. The game before that they won, you know, they were loose and they were they were doing what they needed to do. Um, but, hey, 
This is the life of being an Oiler fan, hey? Well, look, man, you're right. Long-suffering Oiler fan. And and as I read in Mark Spector's article, when you are relying on your Finnish skilled player to be your fighter, <laughs> right? That's, that's that's a problem going into the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. But it's good they found found a spot for Puliarvi. I'm I'm happy about yeah. that. <laughs> Anyhow, I thought we'd bring up the Oilers and uh, commiserate a little bit together. Um, how about you, man? What have you been reading? What have you been watching? Well, you know, uh, you know, the last couple of podcasts, you know, since uh, Danielle Smith has been, we we brought her up a little bit, hey? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, to throw her. I, I just I just love how you know everybody lights their hair on fire about this uh, this sovereignty act thing, and and really, it's it, it's a defense mechanism from just you know Alberta being con- continually attacked by the the Trudeau liberals. Uh, you know, obviously, most of it, uh, uh, you know, through the the energy sector, and which is, uh, you know, obviously a, a major piece of Alberta's economy, and for that matter, it's the still the largest contributing uh, sector to the to the federal government as well. And um, for now, buddy, yeah. And and uh, I, I I'll pose this question, and, and tell me tell me what you think here. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's a, it's a face off with Danielle Smith, and of course uh, Rachel Notley, and I just can't. As an Albertan, you know, uh, I just can't imagine who you'd want minding the store while Trudeau is still, you know, in attack mode. Who do you want minding the store, Rachel Notley or Danielle Smith? Yeah, look, I I know you're throwing that out to the audience more specifically than me. You know my answer to that question. I I think, you know, the the whole sovereignty thing is, is such a complete and utter distraction from you know, what really needs to be discussed. I mean, practically, we would all agree, I, I shouldn't say it so generally, most people would agree that, you know, Alberta has a lot to offer and it needs to be free to a degree to offer those things. You know, to your point about the resources and its its contribution to the, to the federal purse um, and to the health of our country, for God's sakes. Um, so when you ask the question, who, who would you want minding the store? You know, I'll take it a step further and say there won't be a store if Rachel Notley and her like run Alberta. Correct. Absolutely. There just won't be one. So this this face off with uh, Smith and Notley is going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting because the 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 NTP is in in Alberta. They're out in in full force. They're, they're they seem to be in the big centers. Uh, rural is still, you know, it's it's going to be interesting how that uh, how that plays out, but uh, one day at a time. Yeah, you know what, buddy, it's 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 going to be super interesting. You know, I I, I want to be hopeful, as per our last conversation with David Yeager. You know, I want I want to believe that people are going to do the right thing at the end of the day, um, but I, re- I I really genuinely worry about you know how the mainstream media is is trying so desperately to force an outcome. You know, whether it's Rachel Notley and Danielle Smith or you read any recent articles on the, you know, constant beating of Polyev and trying to preordain a federal election that's, you know, could could ultimately be years away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just I, I get really worried. And I know that's part of the conversation and part of why the pragmatics exists is so we can have, you know, a factual discourse and dialogue about things that are important. Um, but. You know, goddamn, man, recently the mainstream media has just been making me mental. Because mm-hmm. they're sided, right? Oh. You know, let's don't, let's don't forget that, uh, 
the federal government has uh, pieced off $595 million for, you know, the media. And, of course, uh, the group that selects who gets the money is uh, it's, a, it's a who's who of, uh, yeah. of the liberal government, right? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, friends and friends and neighbors. Yep. Um, and you know that I mean, th- that's the subject of another another podcast is just where where our media is and uh, how they're being uh, controlled by the. I mean, you, you see what the, the story is going on with uh, Global that they're they're openly uh, you know sure. soliciting for more more federal cash. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. We need to survive. Absolutely perverse, yet completely symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. So. And I know we're on this, but we uh, let everybody know we we've got a, a terrific uh, guest. We always have terrific guests, and and uh, it, it's a a subject that that is a part of certainly all of us personally, and of course any of us that that, that work in uh, in in some kind of a commerce and uh, electronic commerce and so forth. There's we all have a some kind of a presence on the internet, so we think that uh, the cybersecurity uh, issue. Both uh, personal and uh, commercially is is something that you know needs to be talked about, and uh, we've got a terrific guest that we're we're going to bring on here shortly, uh, Matt Potter from uh, Forensic Five Corp. And um, what do you what do you what are your thoughts on on the personal side? And you know, I mean, you've, you've run some decent sized uh, uh, pharmaceutical businesses here in Canada. Where where does this all sit with you? Yeah, I, first of all, I'm. I'm Super excited to have Matt on and, and, and talk to us about cybersecurity. It's obviously a contemporary topic. It's always in front of us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just super interested to know whether corporate or personal, you know, what can we do practically to protect ourselves in a world where every day you hear about, you know, these, these, these hacks or hackers? And, and, you know, it's gone from, you know, some nerd in his basement you know, hacking into your account to, you know, full-fledged institutions and governments that do this and employ folks on a daily basis. So um, I just want to know from Matt, should I be scared shitless or is this something that, you know, I, I should be I should be counting on our governments and, and organizations to protect me? Um, but I think it's going to be a great, a great conversation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, so uh, why don't we uh, get right on to that? Yeah, man. And, uh, and, and br- bring Matt on. Um, I'm going to start off with uh, giving, giving a little background on Matt. Uh, Matt. Matthew Potter has operated, constructed, and built secure systems infrastructure for both public and private corporations for over a decade. He's a cybersecurity expert. He has a strong background in inf- as an infrastructure engineer, programmer, administrator, and instructor. Documentation, transparency, and education are key values to his team. His goal is to bring clients to a new level of understanding that helps build a secure digital network of prepared companies. His current clients extend internationally and include law firms, banks, global transportation, and logistic companies. Currently, he leads and manages the cybersecurity division of Forensic 5 Corp., also known as F5. Forensic 5 is a multi-level penetration and cybersecurity assessment firm. F5 focuses on auditing your business applications, technology, software, policies, personnel, and processes. F5's comprehensive testing framework is designed to educate, identify, and protect. Good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, Des. Matt, where are you you at the moment? 
Well, I'm in the beautiful uh, British Columbia, you know, uh, Kootenays. How did this all start with you? Well, the cybersecurity, uh, you know, trade and industry, I, I, I'd like to say that I fell into it because I personally needed it. And so I'll explain that a little bit. Um, yeah, for over a decade, you know, since 2006, I've been in the, uh, in, in the kind of the program or the web slash IT space. And in, in around 2007, I, I, like many, you know, young programmers coming out of college, I, I started a business around, you know, building applications and, and servers and websites uh, for, for clients. And, and um, as that grew, I grew my, the, the infrastructure that I was using was, was, you know, third parties, other companies providing, you know, these virtual servers and, and these things for me to use. And it got to a point where I had a, I had a portfolio of business, uh, you know, 100 clients or so, and the uh, the infrastructure just got hacked one day. And it was nothing. It was nothing that I did wrong. It was on the uh, the, the system level, like the server, the servers themselves. They got hacked because the the people offering that infrastructure hadn't done a good job securing them. And the reason that that existed, I think, was just because you have these massive big tech companies that that try to offer services in volume right so they're targeting thousands of people at the same time and uh and quite often applications and and servers and websites that require you know individual customization so my business was a victim of of getting completely uh hacked you know all imagine one day waking up and all the applications and, and websites you've built uh, all have uh, the skull and crossbones on the on the homepage, and and all the uh, you know all these things have been defaced, and and uh, I couldn't believe it. At that point, there was nothing I could do. Uh, the the providers at the point they they just said, well, just restore it to a backup, and we'll we'll try again next week. And I just couldn't handle that. I was like, this is this is my my livelihood. This is my clients' businesses. You know, these are, are small businesses that are that are uh, contributing to the economy. So I uh, it was that day I decided to walk down to the biggest data center I could and I plopped a computer in it. And uh, I started this venture of saying, I'm going to, you know, take this into my own hands and see what I can do to to make this stuff secure. And um you can imagine that was a big undertaking. That was probably the biggest undertaking of my life because of just the volatility of the internet. You know, you, you just don't know until you're you're plugged in with a with a you know a server and and you've got the raw internet coming to it. And it was a wild uh, you know two and a half three years of just. And, and what, what did you see? What did you see when you when you got a, a look see into that uh, that data center? Well, it, it's it's kind of crazy, you, you know. To, to the average listener, you could think about you plug your your your, your laptop in to uh, to an internet connection that's designed to you know serve websites, right? So you have a dedicated IP address, you have all these things going, and immediately you're getting scanned. You're you're getting scanned for ports and 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 scanned for vulnerabilities. Your 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 systems getting scanned to find out what version of software and systems you're running. And then, you know, the attacks start and the attacks come in all different forms from all over the world, everywhere, you know, and, and obviously, you know, there's some key players in that, that that attack more aggressively than others. 
And it was just the sheer volume of internet traffic being targeted at, at my IP addresses on every second, you know? And it's just wild to think, like every second out there, there are bots and there are, uh, you know, these, these different countries that are just attacking server infrastructure, whether it be in the form of applications or websites or or email systems they're just attacking them trying to guess the uh, you know the administrative passwords and trying to break in and you know it to me it was shocking because it happened again you know after i after i started this venture it took me a year to you know erect the shields you know to build the shields to protect some of this stuff and and learning the different strategies and it was kind of silly you know i i started it with this very naive approach of if this country is the one attacking me, just block all the internet traffic from that country. But then you have VPNs and you have all these different things that they can use anyways. And so, you know, it took two and a half years of developing strategies of how to mitigate mm -hmm. and protect web applications. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's a little bit about it. So, you know, you, you don't you don't see it, but if you, uh, if you go and, and you think there's a server in a data center somewhere, and if that server doesn't have, you know, a hardware firewall and and software to protect it, it's it's very at risk at getting attacked. And uh, and that's that was kind of the first lessons that I learned. And and through time, I was able to build a secure infrastructure and really learn the value of what's included in that to protect simple applications like email systems and websites and databases, mm -hmm. and. Um, I, I guess a couple of things that stand out to me, you know, is that I'm looking at these network blogs and I'm seeing all this traffic and you hear about it in movies and you hear about hacking and it's kind of talked about as a, as a, as a term that brings a little bit of fear to everyone. But for me, just, just seeing it and being a victim of it myself and, and trying to protect businesses against it, it really taught me that, you know, this is, this is the wild west out there in terms of unregulated people mm -hmm. attacking, people committing fraud all the time. And, you know, this one evening that I, I, I'm sitting there having dinner with my mom and my dad, and, and they say, why don't you just call the RCMP and say <laughs> that this is going on? And it was funny because it was a realization that, well, I, I said, sure, mom, I'll try it and see what happens. And they just didn't have the team, you know, and, 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 and there's just not enough awareness to say like, this is a big deal. And, and nowadays it's different. I think, people are starting to catch on with these big names, you know, that we've heard about in the news getting hacked and exploited. But to, to kind of describe one of the most common hacks that, I, that I've seen, in, and it kind of relates to the phishing, um, you know, a, a, some, some hacker will take over the website and, and install malware on a website, and they will host, you know, fraudulent pages that look like banking login forms. Right. And then they'll send out these emails and try and get people to log in to these these falsified pages. But but the, the crazy thing is, is that if my infrastructure was hacked and my websites were hacked, it's actually me sending out those illicit pages. And it's actually me hosting those that 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 code and that that you're the proxy phishing page. Yeah, I'm the proxy. And and that's happening all the time. And that's what makes these these you know, these criminals so hard to find is because they're using other people's infrastructure to do the crime. And when I saw that happening, I was like, well, well, who's liable? 
in this situation. And we're in a time right now, it's 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 exciting for people that like myself who are like, yeah, let's let's solve this problem. But we're in a time where now that liability is starting to be recognized. And it's being recognized because people are getting hacked, big names are getting hacked, people's data, credit cards, you name it. Things are getting exploited with other people's infrastructure. And now everybody's saying, well, how safe is my, you know, application? How safe is this person's application? So, um, but yeah, that's a little bit, you know, I, 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 I invite lots of questions, but that's how I got into it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through time, uh, after I built this little, this little grid of secure infrastructure, you know, other people started coming, coming to this grid. And then, you know, it was five or six years later after that, I started realizing that, hey, there's a, there's a large industry in just helping companies audit, educate them, and, and be a third party that doesn't want to point fingers. You know, I think cybersecurity is a massive topic, and we can't go in there with the direction that, you know, it's this person's fault or it's this company's fault. We, we have to educate, be transparent, and, and, and talk about it together and, and try and do our best job to you know, prepare companies. And so that's where Forensic Five uh, started. Mm -hmm. And uh, and through that, yeah, there, you know, law firms, websites getting hacked to banks, uh, email systems getting hacked. I mean, this is the world that uh, that I find myself in now, you know, after, well, 15 years of, of this, this working in this space. So it's, it's, uh, it's exciting that we're, we're starting to recognize and we're starting to prepare and not only from the business side, but, but, also from the personal side as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that's a little bit of background about myself and 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 you know what uh, Forensic Five is all about. Did you want to say something, Stu? Yeah, just I mean, obviously, it's um, like I said earlier, it's it's a very contemporary topic, and and I can you know as as you could as well, Des, take this a hundred different directions. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a maybe a simple question, Matt. Um, kind of based on personal experience, I'm sure a number of our listeners have had the same thing. But the question is, how pervasive is this at an individual level? Not necessarily at a corporate level, but let's let's bring it to the listeners. At, a, at an individual level, how pervasive is hacking? How worried should, be, should we be about it? And maybe it's a three-part question. Um, and what can we really do to prevent it? And, I, and I'll, I'll give some context. So I've had my bank card compromised three times. And each time I get a notification from the bank saying, uh, Mr. Fowler, your your TD access card has been compromised. Don't worry. You know, we've shut it off. You got to come down here and get a new card. And, you know, the transactions have been, you know, reversed and the money's back in your account. Um, <clears throat> the last time it happened, I was driving from a meeting in London, Ontario, back to Toronto, and I had a little bit of time. So I was talking to the the customer service person who called me and asked them, you know, how, how this has happened to me three times in as many years. How, how frequent is this? And she goes, well, put it this way. I'm, I'm in a room of 20 people and all we do is call TD bank customers all day to tell them that this has happened. So it's all day, every day. And I said, well, what can I do to, to, you know, sort of prevent this from happening or, or, or stall this? And she goes, well, well, really nothing outside of not using your access card. Um, you know, the scanners are typically at, you know, 
gas stations and convenience stores and, you know, not to beat up on gas stations or convenience stores, but that's where she said this typically happens. Um, you know, they double scan your card, they get your, your code and, and that's kind of what happens. And then, you know, they pop up faster than we can shut them down. And she goes, they are very nefarious characters doing this. So you don't want to question the, you know, the guy at the gas station when he scans your card twice, just take your card and call the TD bank or the cops and tell them what happened. So, uh, you know, I think about that and I'm, uh, it's a pretty long setup here, Matt, but as I think about cybersecurity and particularly given the fact that the vast majority of us do a lot of our banking, et cetera, online, um, and we all have either a Norton or a McAfee or a, you know, Bitdefender. Um, so we feel, a, I guess, a degree of comfort. But but should we? So again, back to the three questions, Matt. How pervasive, you know, is there anything we can do about it? And how worried should we should we be? Yeah, a, a great question. And, and, you know, I'll be the first one to say that, you know, I'm not in the business of selling fear you know, to encourage people to adopt anything. But it is a real, it is a real thing to consider. I think what we can do personally really revolves around, you know, to making making use of all these secure processes that exist. So, you know, two-factor authentication, you know, getting a text before you log into online banking, it's an inconvenience, but it's a well, well worthwhile inconvenience in our day. For sure, you know, and and myself, people in my family, we are all victims in the same way. Stu, like I, I know a whole bunch of people that have had their bank cards hacked, and we read in these, in, in in the news that you know there's payments sent and money missing from accounts, and and this isn't something that just happens to one off, and you hear about it. The reality is this happens quite frequently, and so for myself, it is about making sure that. I have two-factor authentication, make sure I have a login verification for these, like for these financial systems. Like I am fully secured in in terms of adopting everything that I can and to ensure that I can get into my bank account still, which is the, the frustrating piece is that sometimes you have all these systems and then you can't get in, but it's well worth it because the consequence of, of not can be money that you cannot get back. And that's that's the part that does create, you know, this, you know, we have to be aware, is because it is up to the banking institution to decide if they will reimburse the money that has been taken. And if we read the stories in the past couple of years, that's the thing that really kind of started, you know, me paying attention to this closely is that your bank card or your, your credit card could be compromised. And if they don't find the trail of that transaction, and if they can't prove fraud, you're in a situation where you're stuck just waiting for, you know, hopefully for that money to come back. And that's the scary part. And that's what warrants, you know, a conversation about it and to say, yes, let's make sure your passwords are good. You know, the password one, when you two, say, three, when you era. say good, when you say good, are you talking about a, you know, a complex password? Uh, not not your pet and and uh, the number on your address. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we are past that. We are five years, ten years past that type of thing by far. 
and you know phone numbers, addresses, pet names, anything that is that is a, a verb or a noun, any of these things, you, you can't use those as passwords. And you have to use complex passwords. It's just the way it is. And it it it's it's can be hard to adjust to that. Like I don't remember any of my passwords anymore except for maybe one or two because they're all so sophisticated. And right. And Matt, how often are you changing your password? Well, I, I I probably don't change it enough, but at least you know twice a year, and that's because I have uh, I have these keychain systems on on my phone and my laptop that that tell me if my passwords have been compromised or if they showed up in a data leak as well. And many people won't know that that there are services and apps out there that will tell you, did you show up in a data leak? You know, and it, it and there's a couple websites out there that are that are, are just kind of shocking. They do post this information. And so I use, a, you know, Keychain for, for Apple is a really good thing. KeyPass for Windows is a really good thing. And they, they scan for these types of things to see if, you know, your passwords show up in breaches. But they also remind you to, you know, update your passwords. Um, but yeah, I, I do change it. And, and the, the era of simple passwords is... It's over, eh? Is gone. Yeah. So it's... The exclamation mark at the end of mine isn't isn't enough. You're telling me, or the or the question mark? I move it around a bit. Like I I you know I, I try to keep them guessing. Well, it, it's sometimes Stu. It's not necessarily the the quality of your password as much as it is the the person you're trusting that password with. So if you log into let's say you know Hotmail account or MSN account or these you know these corporate massive services. What's to guarantee that that service hasn't been breached and your email and password is posted, right? So that's why changing yeah. and having these complex passwords that don't repeat is 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 necessary. Because uh, so I, I've addressed that, like in terms, we can do that personally. We can suck it up, get these programs that help us manage these complex passwords, make the passwords good. I really believe in that, and it you know based on what I see happening. It's it's a tragic reality that it is pretty perverse. I mean, crime, internet crime is is everywhere, and um, don't have it, to show it, your face. Yeah, it sucks, but it's the truth. Yeah, and you know that's so, just that you know. But, so on a personal level, that, that I guess that's that's the answer to the question for for Stu here is is really uh, more sophisticated passwords. Utilizing the uh, the the double authentication uh, when when offered, tell us about what you're doing at uh, at Forensic Five Corp. Well, right now, you know, this was a really busy Christmas. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I got the call uh, December twenty third. Um, a large banking institution, uh, actually three, um, had had their their website and their application system compromised with. Uh, a malware that got in because of the server technology they were using. And what happened, how they were affected was their uh, their system had shown up as a compromised address where this malware was because of some of the reporting that exists. And clients started uh, getting blocked from their websites and redirected to other other websites that weren't theirs. Um, now, this was an interesting one, and of course it happens at Christmas time. I'll tell you, the worst time for a cybersecurity professional is 
Halloween, April Fools, and Christmas time. Every year, it's it's as consistent as the wind. I don't know what it is, but those those holidays when people seem, you know, I think the Halloween one is just malicious. When there's a holiday, that's when you can expect that there's going to be some activity. So sure enough, uh, you know, just the just turning into December twenty fourth, this this client, you know, gets. Um, their systems get compromised, clients start getting redirected to phishing websites, and their emails uh, start being blocked by their clients. And you can imagine as a, as a banking institution how big of a deal that is. Not only is that brand rep reputation, um, not only is it, you know, the risk, the financial risk, a huge deal. So I ended up working, you know, 22 hours right into Christmas Day, uh, identifying securing and educating them on what happened. So the, the process that I went through is, you know, I, I dig into the system, I get system access, I find out where it is, and then I'll migrate their application to a safe place while I assess the damage. And then I'll, I'll start reporting because there's there's monetary authorities, there's there's insurance, everybody needs to know what happened, what was compromised and how deep did it go. And so half of my job is, is investigative programming, working directly with these computer systems. And then the other half of my job is generating the documentation that people can read and understand. And they're both equally hard because it, it's sometimes hard to break down these, these, these events into, you know, in, into a way that everyone can understand, but that's that's what I'll do. So over this this past Christmas, unfortunately, it was it was pretty pretty busy, um, and we did our best. We got them moved off, secured, and and we're still actually following up on a lot of the reporting uh, and and track tracing that they they need for their insurance. But yeah, I'm I'm the guy that they'll call in the middle of the night and they'll say we need help because we we got hacked and and nobody knows why. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's really just a lot of investigative research. And, you know, there's this process of getting access, identifying and digging into a computer and watching its logs. And the good news is, Matt, it was so cold out, you, you know, you couldn't go outside anyway. So you might as well be making some dough working for the banks. Hey, qu question for you, Matt, just as it relates to, you know, that type of hack or again, we can talk about Equifax or the CRA or when Sony got hacked. You know, we as, again, consumers or customers, we hear about it, we read about it, but we don't really get any more information or direction beyond, you know, go change your password if you haven't done that already. How worried should we be when this happens to, you know, a supplier or, or organization that we're working with? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's mind boggling to think, like, like, let's pick on the Equifax situation for a bit. It, it's my, you know, mind-boggling to to think that that can happen, and you know, you're not talking about necessarily your, your birth date, and uh, and and your your um, your address with these kind of with an Equifax style hacks. You, you, this is your 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 digital identity as it relates to the monetary system, right? Credit scores and all this kind of stuff. And I, back in 2013. I became an advocate of watching those kinds of services. So watching the credit bureaus, right? Watching all that for identity theft and related things, because I started to realize, hey, if this gets breached, I should be monitoring. 
And so I, I think that that service should be free. It's unfortunate that we have to pay for that monitoring, but it, it's one step that I would do that I do personally is I do watch that. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's kind of like a $9, uh, you know, I think they have yearly plans, but I do watch both of those bureaus. And so we should be worried because we hear about these things and, and you, just human nature, like, well, you know, that probably won't affect me. I think one of the messages is, uh, you know, you, you think a, a service in a company like Equifax that is holding on to, you know, I, I think I, if I remember from the from the uh, the the day all that got into the, the news, they, they had 150 or 140 million uh, profiles of people, you know, in 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 their databases, and like Matt said, everything, not just your name and your address and your birth date. You know your your social security, your social insurance number, uh, all sorts of uh, you know uh, debt transactions and so forth. Just a, a ton of data. Now you think, surely they're fortified up to the nuts, but they weren't. And I guess that's the message here: is that uh, we can't rely on the Equifaxes or here in Canada, you know, our big banks, the RBCs and the TDs and so forth, to have all this covered. You you have to think first of all these these hackers they're they're very intelligent, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, and uh, it's it's the old, uh, you know, build a better mouse trap, and they're on the other side building the better mouse, and it's it's just it's 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 a race, and there's always going to be some kind of penetration that uh, that can be found. So, so back to what you're doing at uh, at at Five Corp is are, are you doing. Are you are you helping them fortify? You just described something that was more like a nine one one call, uh, but are you working yeah. with firms to um, assess where they're at uh, in security and then and then help them fortify? Is that is that something you do as well? Absolutely, everything from their people. So we call it you know the human slash social engineering standpoint. We take a look at their preparedness. And, uh, you know, we can talk about that in a second, but then there's the system level and all technology that we have is built on a stack of other technologies, right? We, we have, uh, like, for example, we have a computer. It has Microsoft on it. Microsoft, you know, has another service on it, another service on it. But if Microsoft isn't updated, there's a risk, right? And in, in the server world, it's things like what version of Linux, you know, what version of PHP or what version of database are you using and what are the vulnerabilities? And, you know, it's looking at things from a very, what, what are the stack of technologies that you use and how can we make it better? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, and then there's the human side and the compliance side, which are, which are mm-hmm. huge topics on themselves. I, uh, I want to bring up one that, that I think is classified in that human one. And it's a, it's another, like Stu, Stu you brought up the, the Equifax. It was big in the news this is a Canadian university. Uh, this happened a few years back, but uh, they were uh, defrauded of uh, almost $12 million. And basically, somebody that, that knew some of the workings, uh, it was a university that was building, uh, growing and building a new campus and you know, had millions of dollars in construction uh, fees to pay out. And somebody had basically used the email system to emulate that they were from the construction company and uh, sent an email in saying, uh, you know, we know you're, you've got uh, some invoices to pay and we've changed some banking arrangements. This is the new banking, you know, change it on your end. And of course, 
uh, when those bills went to get paid, uh, they went to, of course, these bank accounts that were, you know, fraudulently put in 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 the hands of uh, accounts payable, and they gladly changed the, the the banking arrangements from the payer, which was the university. That required really no hacking, other than just sending an email to somebody who was obviously not looking to verify if that was. Uh, an authentic email from the uh, from the legitimate uh, construction company. Yeah, the the sophisticated phishing attempts via email have gotten so good that they can puzzle me. You know, uh, it used to be ten years ago you'd get an uh, you get an email from you know someone across the world promising you to inherit a fortune, and that was the uh, that was the reality of email scams and email you know, phishing attempts. It was very easy to identify. But now we we live in an era where there's sophistication behind it. There's research behind it. Obviously, with the example you're talking about, they did the research because I, I know quite a bit about that. And they knew, they knew stuff that they were, they knew that they were doing building additions. They knew things that were going on. And so that, that was a sophisticated attempt. But as an as an accounts receivable person, you're not used to getting something that looks very real, and that's what's happening, right? So, and and I, I would I, in that situation, I would take all of those, you know, that that entire team, and I would walk them through how to use their email client, how to look for these things, and how to identify anything that they're not sure about. And these email programs, you know, all of them offer ways for you to look into it a little bit. You know, anyone can send an email from any domain they want, but you can look and find out if it's fraud very quickly if you look at the header of that email. Uh, and so those are the things that I start educating and talking about. And the other deficiency there is where's the verification and the process before that that bill is paid? Like that, like we're not talking about a thousand dollar bill, right? We're talking about major, major money being transferred to a payable. And I think that really shows you that when there's money involved, you need those processes. You need to make sure that before this money is sent, that it's it's verified and, and that you're you're having a PO and a conversation with the person you're paying. Mm -hmm. Um that's verified. And so, yeah, I think that's the that's how I approach it. Is we we have to sit in a room and and sometimes it's a day, you know, sometimes it's a couple of days, but we have to dig into this and and bring everyone's education up to a place where it should be. You know, I, I personally believe gone are the days where you can claim that, you know, well, I don't need to worry about that as an account because that's the IT department, right? I think you have to you have to have that level of awareness over your your communication regardless of what position you are in the company because yeah you know that that's a that was just a tragedy you know of a uh, fraud that happened and you know that these things are orchestrated by you know marketplace competitors you know by countries like china and 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 these you know wherever like in the world you'd be surprised but these are economic competitors to us that sometimes orchestrate these things too, mm -hmm. and they allow it to happen. And that's the thing that bothers me is they allow this stuff to happen because, like the example you're talking about, that money got it left Canada so quickly, 
it, it, it didn't even have a chance to be audited. Right. Um, and they, they're trying their best, but. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that's, that's an extreme example. Very unfortunate. When I hear you talk, Matt, I mean, and Des, your question, I mean, there's obviously a human error component here. You know, there's cybersecurity and then there's just some, some, some really sophisticated scammers. When you think about the, the dollars and cents piece though, Matt, I'm wondering, both Des and I have had the, you know, the good fortune privilege of of running businesses, working with some, you know, really well-intended people and well-intended people make, make mistakes all the time. Um, but also running businesses were, were careful to look at things like uh, margins and, and ratios, you know, whether those are a percentage of your spend on, you know, promotion and advertising or GNA or whatever the case may be. IT falls into that bucket. But I, I guess I keep hearing sort of an ounce of prevention theme here today. What should an organization spend on cybersecurity as either a percentage of their their IT budget or, Matt, what's it cost to have you come in and do an, an assessment and an audit and, you know, maybe a little bit of training and education for, for the human side? Well, I always like to answer, like, IT, a technology in general, has been one of the best things to allow companies to innovate and also allow companies to cost control in, in creative new ways. And, and I look at it as a, as a part of the business that should always be viewed as something that is making the company money. And if it's not, that's something that I look at. Um, and, you know, they're, they're in the Fortune 500 realm of budgets and, and, and what people think, you know, it used to be that in the marketing department would be 7% of, you know, your, your revenue base and there'd be these numbers. And it can be hard, uh, but I think looking at it as a percentage is a good thing. But I, I think it varies. You know, it's it's how much of your your budget are you spending on IT varies from from company to company. Um, how we work is is we look at it from uh, from a standpoint of what can we do over a course of a month, and and we we sell our services that way. But in in of course in these emergency or doing guest speaking, that's just a different or individual assessments. That's just an hourly type of service. But I can get, I can kind of understand to where you're coming from is because like, what is that budget? Mm -hmm. How much should I spend? How should I, how much should I be paying attention to this? And, you know, it is, it is business based, but I would recommend, you know, a minimum, you know, 10% of your operating costs are going to be surrounding technology whether it's the accounting system, whether it's the email, whether it's the computer systems that you use, it's going to be a significant cost, right? And if you're the type of company that's got, you know, 100 to 200 to 300 workstations of computers, th those are fixed elements on your on your financial statement. Those costs are huge. But but how much should be directed to cybersecurity? That's kind of the, that's the what I'm trying to, you know, pay forward here is that that should be a, a pretty large sum if your data is worth something. And I was going to and, touch on that, the, the, the data being worth something, you know, uh, sorry to interrupt Matt, but uh, when you think of an Equifax where they, they're in the business of, of a database of the most, you know, valuable information, certainly to a, 
to a black hat, uh, you know, uh, performer that is looking for to exploit social insurance you know, identities and, and so forth. That's a big deal. I'm, I mean, I look at the company that uh, that uh, that I help operate, and uh, we don't really have any information other than our own operational information. You know, we don't have people's names and credit cards. We're not in 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 doing. We're not doing you know electronic. Uh, uh, e-commerce or what have you. So there'd be a, a less of a value on, on fortifying that, except, you know, enterprise systems. And of course, that's another subject matter, isn't it? Uh, is, is this ransomware where they're going into, you know, companies that are mm. small, medium, and large and what have you, and they're they're basically, you know, finding it that they're not that fortified. They're going in there and basically locking up their entire uh, enterprise system uh, uh, data and they won't give it back to you until you know we get yeah. we we get a, a Bitcoin deposit or whatever. But that randomware uh, you know scam is is something I wouldn't mind you talking about because we're hearing about that almost weekly. Mm-hmm. Ransomware, oh yeah. So to kind of close off that that one topic, I think that um, there there's there's a lot we can do better if the data is worth something, and that leads us so. There's companies where their data is their company from an operational standpoint. If right. they lose that, they're in a big, big problem. And and then there's the data that is at, at like they're liable for caring for like driver licensing. And, you know, you don't think about like these safety businesses, how much personal information do they store? Where is that data? How safe it is? So there's two folds. There's the operational data, and then there's the the data that they're liable for. And it could be as simple as like they're hopeful, they have a website that allowed people to upload their resume, and their website gets compromised, and all those resumes gets leaked, right? And I've seen that a lot too. So there, there's two fold to that. And then coming into the ransomware topic, well, if, if there's one thing that uh, that keeps me up late uh, over the last ten years, it's it's been ransomware now i'll be the first to tell you if you get ransomware um your only hope really is a backup okay you need a backup and you need a backup of a backup you need at least three backups of all your operational data every day every week that's what i do and it sounds extreme but it's actually pretty easy to automate it doesn't require too much effort you can automate this stuff you can make it good and you can check on it every week or every month so you need a backup of your data because ransomware is not your fault. There's 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 often times where these exploits are, are are part of Microsoft's system and there's nothing you can do to prevent it. And that's the reality. So the only way to play defense on that is to make sure you have a backup of a backup. And uh, that's happened to multiple corporations. I've got the call and they say, what can we do to help you? And, I, and it's kind of funny. So there, there are occasionally decryptors that show up on places like GitHub if you're if you get hacked with an older version of ransomware. That's pretty rare, but it does happen. Um, but then there's this other solution. So if you if many companies do this, they Google and they say, "I need help with because my my service got ransomware," and all those people are all those businesses are guaranteed most of the time are just businesses that broker a deal with the with the ransomware agent. And then you're dealing with them and they're actually paying the guy to get the data back. So that's why I say the only solution that I've seen over the last decade 
that works is having a backup of a backup of a backup. And, and you know, I've helped many companies uh, do that where, you know, we've had backups in place and everything re it returns to normal. There's only a day of downtime. Um, and, but that's the, that's the scariest one. And, and thankfully it's isolated just to the Microsoft realm. Uh, but it is the scariest one, and and it's the one that should keep all IT people checked in their backups every week, because uh, you can imagine uh, your construction firm uh, and all of your costs, all everything, all that data in that accounting system is ransomware because you're you're using a Microsoft product, and and if you don't have a backup, there's no there's there's no coming out of that. Until so so you that's wait the answer. That's the answer to the ransomware thing is is uh, is uh, frequent backup. Frequent backups that are verified and and working. So in, in our in my realm, I have a what we call a cold storage backup, and that happens every week where the data is actually offline. Okay, it's in it's it's in a system that that isn't connected to the internet. Then there's a replica of the. In, the environment. So we'll have two replica, we'll have one operating system and one replica, and we have a cold storage backup, and then we have another backup. And these are all through different data centers. That's really key too, because um, you read in the newspaper, you know, last year, uh, there was a big data center in Europe that just lit on fire. And overnight, companies just went bankrupt, or they, were, they, they just fell out of existence because they all lived in that data center and they didn't have a backup. Um, and that's the, that's the importance is because, you know, you need to make sure you know where that data is. And, you know, in my case, sometimes I'm sitting on it <laughs> because right. it's just the way that, that it goes, right? You need to know where it is and how often it's being backed up and how often it's getting verified that it's, that it's active. Um, so, yeah, that, those are, those are just, processes that most modern businesses, I think, and their IT teams have already adopted pretty heavily because of the ransomware threat. But uh, that's the only solution, unfortunately, uh, unless you want to play, uh, you know, you want to gamble with the ransomware hacker and, and you want to pay them. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Which is happening, right? It's happening daily, you know? Yeah, it's 50-50. <laughs> so, when you say it's 50-50, or, or the likelihood, you said a little bit earlier, the likelihood of getting it back is is, is pretty slim? It's, Even it's, if you pay? I, I, it, it's, a, it's probably a 75% chance, if I'm being really real with you, with how often I've seen them actually release the key. But it, it depends on variables. It depends on how you negotiate with them. It depends on what type of, if they're if they're a firm like an actual organization because there's organizations that all they do is focus their efforts on ransomware um so it depends but you know you've got a 70 a 50 to 75 percent chance of getting your data back if you pay and that that's just what i've seen i've seen a lot of companies having to pay because they didn't have a backup and many of them got lucky but the last thing you want to be doing is is paying money supporting these these this criminal activity. That's the last thing we should be doing is is allowing this to actually be a business. The part that fascinates me is how formalized or sophisticated this has become, almost institutionalized that you know this ransomware phenomena is happening with so many people involved and it doesn't seem like this is this is the editorial piece doesn't seem like 
law enforcement can can really do anything about it. Comments? Yeah, there's, there's a human cost to to investigation. There's a real cost to it. So, you know, when things enter a realm of public interest, yeah, their, their resources are going to be deployed to investigating and tracing and tracking. Um, but the reality is there are these large operational entities that are doing this as a business. And there are situations where this is actually publicized. Like people know that this corporate, like these corporations are doing it, they're offshore and that's what they're doing, uh, you know, for the revenue. And, and it's just wild that, that that's how big it has become. And uh, do we have the resources to chase every one of them? Tell us uh, here before we wrap up here, uh, if somebody wants to look you up and, and see what Forensic 5 Corp does, is, is there a, a website that uh, people can learn about you? Yeah, you can head over to Forensic 5 and just fill out the contact form. You know, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're a growing business in this space, and we're, we're just really eager to, you know, to educate and, and, and be transparent. So I always welcome a conversation. You know, if, uh, if people are looking to uh, chat on Zoom about this uh, or uh, or bring me in to talk to their company, always open for for, for that. Um, but, yeah, I appreciate that. It's 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 a huge industry and it's we want to see a lot of people like myself in this business. You know, I, I, I'm i a bit of a, a capitalist and, and entrepreneur that, you know, I'm the answer. But but really, we want to see a lot of businesses emerging talking about what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. We want to see a lot of companies talking about what I'm talking about, because this is how we, we kind of make a secure country. You know, we, there's a topic I love to talk about digital sovereignty. You know, this is, this is how we, we do better as a country when we all do this well, and there's less data leakage. Suddenly Canadian data is, is, is valued more. And, and I think, there's parts of, of, of what the government has done in the last decade, um, you know, nonpartisan with this Digital Privacy Act, right? Making Canada a jurisdiction that companies want to operate digitally. And, and that's a big passion of mine is I, I want to see us all do better. I want to educate as much as I can, bring companies up to that level. And the more we do that, the better our banking system is going to be, the better our, our currency is going to be. Um, there's just going to be a lot of job growth too. There, mm-hmm. there's, if there's an industry that is ripe for uh, growth, it's it's going to be cybersecurity. And uh, so that's kind of my thoughts, Des, is that I just want to see, uh, I'm always open for the conversation with the business, but I really want to see this adopted at the mainstream of the Canadian business world. Right. Um, you mentioned something sure. that I, I just, maybe just a quick comment on that. I think I heard you say, Canada in in the digital realm is it seen as a as a higher higher level of uh, protection? Well, I think there are certain laws to to how Canada has taken approach currently. Now, hopefully, that doesn't change. I think it's at risk in the last couple of years, but there there's a certain direction that Canada took about your data as a company. You know, there's limitations to to the government looking and and taking that data and using it. And and these are where you get into the Snowden realm and you get into all these crazy conversations about, you know, the United States and stuff like that. But I think Canada has done a good job is saying, hey, we want to be a player in the digital realm. 
lately that's been at risk in a couple ways in the last couple years and and i hope that that doesn't continue but there there is this protection where data centers want to operate here uh and the and the regulatory and the compliance side is modern and it's and it's robust and it really does facilitate growth mm-hmm. we'll bring you on another day matt sure and and chat about that i think it's it's worthy of a of an, an, another discussion this has been uh fascinating I, I don't i don't know that i'm terrified but um i don't know that i'm any more comfortable either but um obviously it's something whether you're running an organization or you're you know on your laptop doing your you, you know your facebook or your linkedin it's obviously something we all need to to think about um my take home today is is backup 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 backup, and backup. And, uh more sophisticated passwords yeah. and and like you said uh, opt in for the uh, the uh, the two times authentication yeah and I'll leave you with two other things you know um, there there's always a lot of fear concern around these topics and and you know you have to you have to stay away from the tinfoil hat mentality you got to stay reasonable you got to stay common sense and you got to do the best job you can and if it happens to you it's it's unfortunate, but don't live your life that it's going to happen again. You know that that's something that in this industry you can get so scared, and, and you can operate with such anxiety, and that's that's not good either, right? Mm-hmm. So so beware that the tinfoil hat. Don't you know there's there's a lot of good people doing the best job they can to just to, to solve these problems. And the last thing in, in terms of backup, you know there there's a lot of ways to backup. You've got your USB drives, portable hard drives, and and one thing that, that I really like is. There's something called an M-Disk, uh, and it's, you know, lifetime archival, and you can burn data onto that and put it in your file cabinet, and you know that your data is safe and it's not connected to the Internet. So I do a lot of that, um, and, and you can look that up. They're called M-Disks, and it's just a Blu-ray burner, and it's a great way to store your your data uh, offline and, and know that it's going to be there in 20 years. So, um but yeah, I'll leave you with those two things, and, and I appreciate you guys having me on to, to chat about this. Awesome. Great tips. Right on, Matt. And it, uh, I, I just looked it up. It, it's Forensic5.com, correct? Yeah, Forensic5.com. Awesome. Yeah. Five with the, the, the number five. No, spelt out. Oh, see? I'm glad I asked. Forensic5speltout.com. Okay, Matt. Well, thanks very much. We'll be in touch in the future, and uh, like like Stu said, we, we'll we'll uh, we'll monitor this this entire uh, cybersecurity world that we're we're living in. There's going to be obviously uh, different threats coming at us uh, in the future, but uh, it's a subject we hear about in the news every week, and I don't think that's going away. So we'll 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 get you back for uh, for another podcast on uh, on this subject. Thanks, Matt. For sure. All right. Okay. Have a good rest of your day. Cheers, mate. Des, that was uh, that was fascinating. You know, I I, I don't uh, profess to be by any stretch of the imagination, to you know, a tech oriented kind of guy. But again, you and I running businesses and 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 you know, having all of our lives on our on our laptops and and smartphones. Um, you know, I get a bit terrified when, when you think about it, you know, particularly maybe from a business perspective, what, what, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I know, I know we talked about, uh, you know, the, the value of, of the data, you know, if, if it does get swiped, uh, you know, like in a ransomware type thing. And, and we, I think we touched on, you know, certain 
certain companies or organizations are, are carrying. Uh, in, in my case, it's our operational data. We don't have people's credit cards or anything, or we're not, you know, uh, any anybody else's information. It's, it's really our information. So it's a, it's a standpoint of... If if we got nailed, it would be a uh, it would be a serious business interruption, which by by no means is is a small issue. It's a it's a big deal, but we're not carrying information that has a lot of obligations or ethical ob- obligations or mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like uh, yeah. how how about you? I mean, in your world, I would imagine the the things that uh, in in the medical world. I mean, actually now just just dawning on me that uh, not only is it uh, maybe payment information and, and personal information, but medical information on, on individual uh, patients. Yeah, yeah no, no question. I think for, you know, if you take a sliver of it and you think about the medical aesthetics world, you know, dermatologists, plastic surgeons, um, you know, physicians that are specialized in, in that type of medicine, it is a fee-for-service medicine. So not only would they have all of their um, personal details, including their their healthcare numbers for their respective provinces, etc. Um, but they would have all their payment details. I mean, with the exception of the odd, you know, wife and husband that pay cash, so they, you know, spouse doesn't know what they're doing. But 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 you're absolutely right, and I think the physicians that aren't protected um, certainly should be, and they need to consider that, you know, very quickly because if you're uh, you know, one of these ransomware institutions, um, that's a pretty easy target. Mm-hmm. Valuable so, target. Va- very valuable. Yeah. 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 Not that we're putting that uh, that out there. No, I feel like I've, I, I feel like I've actually <laughs> planted a bit of a seed. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so you know a plastic surgeon? I know one or two. Oh, good. What, what are you thinking? I, we'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, that was uh, Matt Potter with uh, Forensic Five Corp. Uh, it was, I felt, you know, bringing Matt on would help a lot of people, certainly on the personal side, and then understanding the, really the scope of what we just talked about. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And like I said, for me, taking it from a, a personal, you know, sort of just a, you know, computer user, and, and as I said, you know, most of us do most of our uh, transactions now online. Mm-hmm. Um and just the very simple tips I thought, you know, were, were, were practical and important, right? Yeah. It is double authentication or, or, or um, verification, but is it worth it? Absolutely. Yes, it so is. you got to look at your phone and get a text and, you know, plug those six digits in before you get access to your, uh, to your bank account. I think that's probably worth it. Um, yeah. In our world today, we want everything real fast and quick and what have you, but no, the, the, the I know on, on, on my banking and, uh, you know, one of the, the online uh, trading, you know, uh, brokerage trading mm-hmm. accounts, it uses the, you know, text you back, the, the, the verification code. Takes takes a second. Very, very fast uh, response on those things. Doesn't take away from serious time. So uh, that's what we're uh, encouraging. Obviously, Matt gave us all the, the, the right reasons to uh, maybe make this stuff a little more sophisticated on a personal level. And of course, on the business enterprise level, uh, you know, we can see what, what he's doing with his uh, his forensic corp. Yeah. Yeah. That was good stuff, man. Very well, good. You know, uh, folks, this is the time where uh, we always like to feature a good BC or Okanagan wine. Stu, another selection from, uh, you plucked this one from your uh, from your stash. Yeah, yeah. From my, from my healthy collection there. I, I think it's a 2019 uh, Pinot Blanc from our good friends at uh, Black Swift. They are a West Kelowna winery, part of the, uh, the same group that has the hatch. 
and oh, yes. has um, the other one just down the road that they built a few years ago, Crown and Thieves, uh, which is a, a lovely uh, spot to stop in the in the summer for a glass of wine and a, and a remarkable view. But um, this particular vintage Des, I have not tried before. So this this Pinot Blanc. Um, I was uh, intrigued by the label, and and it wasn't uh, too long ago that we were at Black Swift, so I thought we'd uh, we'd we'd give it a give it a give it a sip, and uh, let me know what you think. Yeah, well, here I go. We're spinning. Cheers, big man. Cheers, bud. Ding. I like this. Oh yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah very I, good. I, I dig that. Yeah, I don't drink a ton of Pinot Blanc on. Um, Certainly not this time of year. It is this would be a nice, uh, you know, very chilled. It'd be a nice summer, uh, obviously summer wine. Uh, you know what I like about this? I, I really like their their packaging, their label. It's a heavy bottle. That's that's a that's a no fooling around bottle. Yeah, yeah. They spent right. some money on glass, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a um, this is a delicious, very fruity Pinot Blanc. Mm-hmm. We're, we're we're gonna keep hitting it here. It's been a long day. Yeah, folks. When when you hear this uh, pregnant pause that we're doing, uh, we're we're just taking another another draw on the uh, on the glass. But anyway, nice nice picks too. Thanks, man. Um, just so everybody knows, we're we're on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, Instagram and Facebook uh, with the help of uh, some of our uh, newly found uh, staff. You can find. Uh, the wine we feature of all these episodes, you'll find it on all of those, all of those formats. The Pragmatic. Yeah, man, we've had some, uh, we've we've had some great discussions. We've had some uh, some very tasty vino, uh, and we've got some some interesting topics uh, coming up. Right, we're yes. uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, employment law, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and inform some folks about what's happening, and and you know maybe what to be conscious of as it relates to this ever changing workplace uh post pandemic um what else are we going to be talking about des well we're going to dip back into uh some of the uh some of the energy topics we've got uh, i've got a lineup of uh a few people that i think we'll find interesting we're just going to nail down some dates here but uh i think the guest you just talked about we'll we'll try and fit that in inside of uh, january is the next uh, episode is that right yeah i think so i mean it it's um Kind of in keeping time-wise with your uh, our listeners' work performance reviews, so maybe they'll get some tips on you know, how to get an extra half percent in a raise or something. Very good. Hey, what 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 have you been? Uh, what are you thinking about some of these uh, political things going on federally here in the news here lately? Anything? Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I both, you know, sort of uh, gluttons for uh, for punishment, at least from a political and a news standpoint. You know, you know what I've been reading lately, and I haven't dug. Too deep into it, but I'm I'm fascinated at how uh, our ex finance minister uh, and uh, you know yes. man about town millionaire Bill Morneau is beaten up on his old boss. I saw that. I saw that. Now I didn't didn't dive into that one, and I will. But uh, what what did you what did you come across with that? Well, a, a few things that he says which are are hilarious. One is um, you know he's actually quoted as saying, and I, I don't know if it comes out of his book or where it comes from, but that. You know, Trudeau is a much better actor than than actual manager. Um, and the the other thing he said, which which I found fascinating, was um, that it was you know either lack of interest or inability, but he had no real relationships with any of his ministers. Now I did read that. Uh, I, I read the headline and breezed through it a little bit, but I did come out with that. And the two items that you just mentioned are just 
not a surprise to me. I, I don't think it'll be a surprise to many people. Yeah, I, I just, I, I find it curious that he is um, taking such sort of full swings at his at his old boss. Now, I, I find it curious and, and exciting at the same time. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to beat up on Bill, but he is... He is he is not without sin, this fella. Now, I, I will say something that I saw in the National Post today because I thought it was really interesting. And, it, it you know, th- this could have been something that you and I wrote. Uh, Morneau's uh, saying he's he's quite correctly criticizing Trudeau's government for spending more time focused on redistributing wealth than on increasing our collective prosperity. Uh, and in his speech last June, he lamented that there was no sense of urgency in Ottawa about Canada's lack of competitiveness. Is Morneau saying this? Yeah. My goodness. It took him five years to figure all this out. Is that not unbelievable? It is unbelievable. I mean, it, it, it factual. Uh, totally. He but, hit the nail on the head. But, uh, you know, he spent, uh, what, what is it, probably, f- I think, five years before he, uh, he resigned, right, in yeah. government? Yeah. It took him this long and not only that, he's uh, a big part of the early, you know, Trudeau federal government. hundred percent. So obviously he's selling a book. Yeah, and, and that's why I say he's, this man is not without sin or, 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 or guilt, right? He was, he was part of those, those pretty, um, you know, high-flying, you know, big-spending early days of the new liberal government. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I do I do take some joy in him uh, um, taking shots at his old boss. Mm-hmm. What, what have you seen lately that needs uh, that needs our time? We we talked a little bit about this on the, on the last episode with uh, with David Yager and what have you. But we had the German Chancellor Schultz over. Of course, he was looking for a, a quick bit of re- LNG. Yeah, he was looking for a quick response to to solve a uh, a, a crisis in in his his part of the world. It's their crisis. They they put themselves, their policies put themselves in the place they are today. But he came to Canada looking for some LNG help. Uh, we have a world-class reserve of, uh, of natural gas here. You know, if, if, if we had some LNG facilities on the East Coast, uh, it would be a logistically a, a terrific joint venture with, with, uh, with Europe or the Germans. Trudeau ixnayed that in a way of basically... Sure. The result was we don't see a business case in that, but let's work on a hydrogen project that doesn't exist today and would be hydrogen economy is nearly 20 years away. So he came over here in, in, in all sort of pomp and what have you, and we gave him nothing. Just a few weeks ago, he went down to uh, Schultz, Chancellor went to, Schultz, went to, went, Qatar. went to Qatar and wrapped up. Uh, an LNG deal in uh, in in short order, and n- now Qatar uh, will take over as the the largest LNG exporter. You look at the LNG economy in the last decade; it is uh, it has grown in a, in such a m- major way. The U.S., Australia is way ahead of Canada. Um, while Trudeau has been in power. He has been a part of $150 billion worth of projects that have either got canceled or he's wore them out uh, to the point where uh, the financial investment decision was just uh, not to go ahead. 
And most of those are LNG pro- projects on the West Coast and a few on the East Coast. And Canada at this point, seven years from Trudeau's uh, election into office, could be a leader in in the world in, in LNG. Not the biggest. We, we couldn't get to be the biggest in, in that short a period of time, but we would be a large player, an up-and-coming player. And we would be producing LNG that would most likely be replacing coal-fired, mm-hmm. right? So those eco-brigade folks that are interested in, in reduction of uh, CO2, they would have an instant reduction, a significant reduction by just the, the trade-out of gas from, to, from coal. Yeah. And uh, here we are not reaping any benefits for proceeds that pay for, like I said, a, a tremendously larger cut for the federal and provincial coffers that pay for, you know, healthcare, schools, uh, the infrastructure that we have here in Canada. And we'd also be reducing CO2 emissions, which you'd think that's what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. So we're not participating. Well, not only are we not participating, and I, you know, not, not to quote Bill Morneau again, but um, we're not even in the, in, in the hunt. Right. Canada is not competitive. Um, And you know what? We're going to see our prosperity disappear, Mm -hmm. you know, if if this current trend continues. So everybody should maybe think about that when they go to the polls. Yes. Boy, should they ever really where and I've seen this personally. I'm seeing a lot of producers, people that are uh, business owners producing products or, or businesses and employing many people, they are tapping out. I've either seen many that are, have left or that are preparing to leave. And, you know, we, we have a, um, Canada has a, a good combination of, uh, you know, safety nets that we've all, you know, social programs and so forth. And those work when you have an economy driven by free enterprise and producers because that production and that GDP and the generation of those revenues for federal and provincial coffers allows for these programs to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there's a fine line or there is a line where if you have more producers than takers, that arrangement works. And I think we may have crossed that line or we're getting close where we're losing our producers because they're, they're, they're either not participating in the economy, they've made their money and they're, they're not going to risk anymore, or they're leaving. And I think we might have crossed over that line where there's less producers and now more takers. And this arrangement will bankrupt us. Yeah, 100%. And the policy of, of the, the, the Trudeau liberals is primarily not on free enterprise, but making everybody dependent. Mm-hmm. And I want everybody to think about that. I think it's a great place to to wrap things up, Des. Mm-hmm. We got you this uh, terrific wine here, this feature, but you know what we also do is uh, we pick a tune from our youth, for our youthful adult- adulthood. This one came out in 1982, Stu, and, and uh, when I threw this out as a uh, suggestion, you were quick to say yeah let's let's use that one hey man look i'm a, i'm a huge fan of uh of this tune uh and this this band and in 1982 what uh, uh, for the folks out there you can do the math i was in i was in grade we were in grade 10 um yes we were 
two years after my peak, which was grade eight. Um, but uh, grade 10 was a good year, man. High school was good. And we, we, growing up in the 80s, or at least, you know, those those post-formative years, because I like to think we were pretty well-formed by by 16. <laughs> um, those are good years. And and this this is a great tune. Des, my favorite part of this tune is, is the end. I know you're a big fan of... Uh, the vocals? Yeah, yeah. Paul Hyde was doing the vocals on this. And of course, what we're talking about is uh, the band The Paolas, which were later uh, named Paul Hyde and The Paolas. Uh, there's a bunch of controversy about the name and what have you and record deals and so forth. There was but, probably some Paola in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also who who's uh, on this record is uh, Bob Rock who is not only a musician, but he's really well known as a producer. He's produced uh, uh, big names, uh, all the way from, you know, heavy metal names to, you know, believe it or not, Jan Arden, Canadian, uh, and, and Brian Adams. Yeah, Brian Adams, uh, for sure, yeah. Well, uh, Motley Crue, uh, all sorts of, you know, gigantic names. But he, he's, a, uh, he's a Canadian boy, uh, you know, Vancouver now, and of course him and Paul Hyde, uh, wrote this tune, uh, Eyes of a Stranger, from the Paolas. Classic 80s tune, man. Take us out. <laughs> 